The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit MorningstarDayton.org.
Welcome to the celebration of the resurrection of the resurrection of the only king forever. And uh, we've been expecting you. We're so glad you're here. And uh, it's our prayer that the only king forever this morning, if you don't know him, would become the king of your heart. He reigns supreme. That song said every knee will bow. The word of God says every knee will bow. And you have an opportunity here today to, to bow and allow the, the king that is the only king forever to be the king of your heart. So would you continue to sing with us as we celebrate our king this morning?
Amen. Praise and hear this play. All right. Go ahead and be seated this morning. Let me just tell you how excited we are that you're here, that you chose to come and celebrate with us today the resurrection of our King. And He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And, man, we're excited, man. What a great day here at Morningstar Baptist Church. And if this is your first time here, let me just tell you, you're not just welcomed, you're wanted. And we love the fact that you're here today. And we hope that you felt welcomed already. And we're just, we can't wait to see what God's going to do today. Uh, but everybody should have one of these on your chair. Go ahead and take this out. This is our connection card. Um, and so everybody take this out. What I'm going to ask you to do right now, if this is your first time with us today, I'm going to ask that you put on there as much information as you're comfortable putting on there. Uh, we're not going to stalk you, harass you, show up at your house at dinner time unless you're serving something really good, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but hey, we do want to mail you a gift. Uh, we're going to mail you a gift card just saying our way of saying thank you for being with us and here today at Morningstar. And if you're a regular attender or you're a member, we ask that you put at least your name and your email address on there so we can make sure we stay in contact with you. On the back of that card, there's a number of things on the back of the card. Maybe this morning, maybe God works in your heart. You're like, man, I need to make a decision this morning. We'd love to celebrate that with you. And so you can just mark that on there. Or maybe you have a prayer request. Maybe there's something going on in your life or somebody you know. I mean, I just, we really need some help. If somebody could help pray for that, we would love that. Because the men of our church meet every week. And we just pour these out before God and pray. And just know that if you put something on there, it's going to be lifted up to God. Uh, because we care about you. And we love you. And we want, we want to see God do great things in your life as well. But what we ask you to do is you fill that out and just drop that in the offering plate as it comes by here in just a moment. And if you're like, I don't have enough time. That's not enough time for me to do that. There's a, there's a basket, a wooden basket on the way out the door. You can just drop it in there and we'll pick it up either way. At this time, if our ushers go ahead and come forward at this time, we're going to receive the offering today. And, and if you're your first time here, we don't expect you to give. In fact, all we ask you is turn this in um, so we can follow up with you and tell you thank you for coming. And, uh, but this is our chance to give back to God. This is our chance to give back a portion of what he's blessed us with. And our way that we can use this to reach people around the world with the gospel, the great news of Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for today. The amazing day that today is that we celebrate the fact that death couldn't hold you, the grave couldn't keep you. And that not only did you come back to life, but you defeated death, hell, and the grave. And you've given us hope. You've taken away the fear of death. You've taken away the sting of the grave. And that we can, if we just give our life to you, God, you give us that everlasting life, that abundant life that you talked about. And God, we can never thank you enough for that. What a, what a great day to celebrate you. So God, we pray for this offering right now. God, I pray that we will, whatever comes in today, that God, we can use that to reach people here in this area, but also around the world with this amazing message of hope and new life. And God, we just give you this time today. Through the worship, through the preaching, through the, just the fellowship with one another. God, I pray today that you just reach down and get a hold of some lives and hearts today, that everybody here today will leave different than what they came in. And it's all for you and all for your glory. God, thank you for everybody here today. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, his blood poured out for us. The weight of every curse upon him. The Son of God was laid in darkness, a battle in the grave, the war on death was waged, the power of hell forever broke. Stand with this church. The ground began to shake. 
See, my brain has not reached the point where it could form a thought that would adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have not developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love. And my voice, my voice is so inhibited 
restrained by human limits that sometimes it's hard to even send a praise up. See, if there are words for him, then I don't have them. My God, his grace is remarkable. His mercies are innumerable. His strength is impenetrable. He is, he is honorable. He is favorable. He is accountable. He's unsearchable, yet knowable. Indefinable, yet approachable. He's, he's indescribable, yet personal. He is beyond comprehension, further than imagination, constant through generation. He is king of every nation. But if there are words for him, I, I don't have them. You see, my words are few, and to use my words to encompass an all-consuming God would, would just never do. But I use words as an expression, an expression of worship to a Savior, a Savior who is both worthy and deserving of my praise, so I use words. My heart extols the Lord and blesses his name forever. He has won my heart and captured my mind and bound them both together. He defeated me in my rebellion. He conquered me in my sin, welcomed me into his presence, completely invited me in. He has made himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercy in the morning and drowning me with grace in the night. But if there are words for him, church, I don't have them. But what I do have is good news. See, my God knew that man-made words would never do. See, words are just tools to point to the truth. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the word, living proof. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. And by his word he sustains in the power of his name. Holy is his name. So praise him for his life, how he persevered in strife, the humble son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice. So praise him for his death, how he willingly took our place, how he lovingly endured the grave, how he battled our enemy, and on the third day, he rose in victory. He is everything that was promised. Praise him as the risen king. Lift your voice and sing for one day, he will return for us and we will be united with our Savior for eternity. So it's not just words that I proclaim. For my words point to the word and the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Love has a name. Peace has a name. That that name is Jesus Christ. Praise his name forever, church. continue to celebrate our resurrected king, the one who will reign forever, we, we look to his resurrection and the hope that is found there and the resurrection power that we can rise from our ashes, that we can rise from our defeat, that we can rise from our brokenness. And that as the king is resurrected, he is also resurrecting you and I from death to life. Thank you. 
resurrecting me in your 
Dear Jesus, we come before you this morning declaring from the victory that you are the risen king. Lord, we are declaring that you are everything that you said you were. And this morning as we celebrate you, we ask that that you would penetrate our heart with your words. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Change us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Man, what a, what a great day so far. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is John Decker. I'm the lead pastor here at Morningstar Baptist Church. And man, I, once again, I'm excited that you're here. And I'm excited about what God's going to do today. And I'm, it's, he's going to show up, man. He's already here. What an amazing time of worship we already had this morning. And this does change everything. This is starting our new series called This Changes Everything because it does. The fact that Jesus rose again, the fact that he's coming back again one day, it changes Everything and today I want to. We're here to celebrate the fact that Jesus came back to life. He he rose again on the third day on Easter Sunday. But here's the. But what a, what about us? Like how should we respond to that? How do you respond to the fact that the grave couldn't keep him? How do you respond to the fact that Jesus wasn't able to be kept in the tomb? What is what kind of impact should that have on our life? And maybe you've grown up in church your whole life, or maybe this is the first time you're actually hearing about it. There has to be some kind of response. So what does it mean for us? And today, this morning I just want to kind of challenge us with this idea of give your life. Um, Manny and I, we've, we've, got, uh, we've got three boys. And uh, Jonathan is 16 and Daniel is 11 and Mason is 7. And, and they're all they're amazing, amazing uh, boys. And the thing about their, my boys is that, man, they absolutely love their mom. Absolutely love their mom. In fact, they're very protective of Mandy. And, uh, and so back in the day, back in the day, a few years ago, I was actually in law enforcement for a number of years before I ever went into ministry. And so I've tried to impart my wisdom and knowledge when it comes to uh, fighting and how to do that to my boys. And I I've, I've only can take them so far, but I've tried my best to teach them how to be a man, right? How to, how to defend someone because I don't want them growing up being soft, you know what I'm saying? I want them to actually know how to take care of their family. And uh, I've done as much as I can. And then Jonathan and Daniel actually come here on Monday nights because we have uh, karate that's free on Monday nights. And Adam Cunningham and his dad... Have an amazing thing. And by the way, it's, it starts at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. It's free. It's for the whole family at 7, 8 and up. But they, they, they're coming. And, man, he's teaching them a lot more than what I could ever do. But, man, they're, they're amazing at it. They're really good at it. And, but the thing about the boys is because they love Mandy so much, like, I can't mess with her at all. Like, I can't. If, if I try to mess with her, if I try to, if I try to pick on her, pick on her is a southern term, by the way. It means like you're messing with someone, you're teasing. Like, if I try to pick on Mandy, if I try to tickle her, and I, all she has to do is say one word. Boys! Like that. And they come running from everywhere. Like, like it doesn't matter. Which is funny because if we tell them to clean their room, there's like dead silence in the house. She screams boys and it's like a herd of elephants just just yeah, like running through the house, like wherever she's at, and they'll find her like that. And what's fun, Jonathan is strong, all right? And so obviously my first attention turns to Jonathan because he's strong. And so I'm engaged with Jonathan and we're wrestling and fighting. But the bad thing is, is that, so Jonathan is strong enough, but here's Daniel, my 11-year-old. Daniel has like this sneak attack down. 
right? Like I'm fighting Jonathan and I won't know what's going on. All of a sudden I'm like, who's hitting my kidneys? Like why, where is this pain coming from in my back? And I'm turning around like Daniel's just like, he's like this ninja. He's like, boom, he's on me. And so now I'm doing both of them. But here's the deal, Mason, he's seven and he's not as strong as the other two. And he's not sneaky because he's super loud everywhere he goes. But the thing about Mason, he's only that tall. And he just balls his fist up and he's all fist, man. And he's just wailing. And the problem is, is his height puts him at a perfect location for a very painful attack. I mean, I'm just going to leave it there, all right. So it's just crazy. Like, they're awesome. But they love their mom. They absolutely love their mom. And the Mason went through this phase for a while where he wouldn't call Mandy mom. He called her babe because that was her, his girl, right. He loved her, man. And like, he's going to marry her. And so, so it was funny going through that. But... But it's funny watching him transition a little bit now because he still loves Mandy. But this past week we had a couple of really nice days. And so we love to fish. Like we love being outside. And so we went out to a pond and we were slaying. I mean, we were catching fish left and right. And all of my boys do this thing because it's just what you're supposed to do if you're a proper fisherman. When you catch a fish, you take the hook out and what are you supposed to do? No, you don't throw it. You got to kiss it first, right? So you kiss it. Don't awe. You don't even know, right? This is how you're supposed to do it. So you, all my, they kiss the fish and they throw it back. So this past week we're fishing and Mason's catching like one fish after another. So is Daniel. And Jonathan comes out. He's catching them. Mason's catching a fish. And he's grabbing them and he's taking the hook out. And he's not just kissing the fish. Like he's kissing the fish. Like he's like, mm, like getting that fish mucus on his mouth. And like he's throwing them back. And I'm like, buddy, I'm, I'm all for kissing the fish. But I mean, there's, there's a line, right? Like. You got he's like, he's like wiping out, and he's giggling. Like he's getting a big kick out of this, and he keeps catching him. He's kissing him, throwing him back. I'm like, man, I don't know if this is safe at this point. Like, that's how much is happening. And I'm like, Mason, what are you doing? He looks at me, he goes, I'm saving them up. I'm like, what do you mean you're saving them up? He said, when I get home, I'm going to tell mom I want to kiss. And I'm like, oh, dude. <laughs> okay. So what do you do with that? I'm like, man, this guy's got a plan. So being the good husband that I am, when we walk through the door, I don't say anything. <laughs> so he goes up to Mandy and he lays a big one on her, man. But here's the deal. They love their mom. And I, I honestly believe if anything was ever to happen, if somebody was ever to try to do something to Mandy, I believe my boys would give their life for their mom. I really do. Because she's that special to them. And in, in the book of John chapter 15, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll put it up on the screen. But in John chapter 15, this is literally the last day of Jesus' life on earth. He's sitting at the Last Supper with his disciples. Judas has already betrayed him and taken off. And now he's talking to the 11 that's there. And he kind of just goes into some really important things. And so Jesus is like all the passion that he can muster, he's sharing with them his last thoughts. Because he knows what's about to happen. And in John chapter 15, verse 12, here's what Jesus says. He says, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. He says, I want you to love people. I want you to love them like I love you. And in verse 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life. What does that mean? Than someone give their life for their friend. Verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then verse 15, I love this verse. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I love that. Jesus is having this little, very intimate discussion with his guys, his closest people, right before he knows what's about to happen. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be beaten and crucified. And he knows, so he's like, I got, you guys got to get this. Like, my commandment, if you don't get anything out of the last three years walking with me, I want you to get this. Love people like I've loved you. And then he gives us an example. The greatest love of all time is when you give your life. And he says, I'm not going to call you a servant. You're not a slave. You're my friend. Here's the deal. Of everything that's happening this morning, we have an amazing thing going on with our kids right now. And they're hearing about Jesus and it's awesome. And there's so many important things going on today. The breakfast was amazing. But you know what the most important thing is this morning? It's not me. It's what we're about to talk about. It's what Jesus says. Like this is what, because what Jesus is saying is I want you to understand something. In spite of all your failures, in spite of all your mistakes, in spite of all your brokenness, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you came in here with this morning, Jesus says, look, I love you so much that I think you're worth giving my life for. 
So what we got to understand is, is like some of you, I get it. You come in like, John, man, my life is a mess. It is a wreck. My marriage is jacked up. My job, not much better. My kids, I have no idea what to do with my kids anymore. Like our finances, I'm broke. <laughs> like I just keep making the same dumb choices over and over again. It seems like I'm caught in this cycle where I do good for a while, but all of a sudden, man, my life to the bottom just falls out and I don't know what to do anymore. Some of you might have come in this morning, maybe you're coming from an abusive relationship. Maybe some of you are here this morning because you're like, John, I am super lonely. Nobody even knows where I'm at right now. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Maybe some of you are struggling with some just dark things in your life. That maybe you're like, I, didn't even tell, I don't tell people about this. Nobody knows what I'm going through right now. And I want you to lean in just for a moment because if you don't get anything, I want you to get this. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter. I don't care how much baggage you might have come in with this morning, how much weight of sin and brokenness you're carrying right now. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter because Jesus loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Jesus' message for all of us this morning, this whole changes everything. The whole resurrection day is all about this. Jesus loves us so much, he thought we were willing to die, he, that he was willing to die for us, but he also loves us too much to let us stay with whatever junk we're carrying, with whatever messed up, jacked up things we came in here this morning because he wants to change us. And he says, this is my commandment. I want you to love like I have loved. And then he says, no greater love is this than when someone gives their life. Because if you really love someone, you're going to give your life for them. You'd be willing to give your life for them because it proves that. And I know maybe you're like, okay, great. I came on the Sunday where pastor's telling me i got to die. No, it's not what I'm saying, okay. It's not what I'm saying. What it means is saying I, it's not about me anymore. It's all about him. And then he says, you're my friends if you do what I say. And then he says, look, I don't call you servants. I'm going to call you Friends, And he says, greater love has no one this than someone lays down their life for their friends. And he's telling his disciples this at a very, listen, context is everything. Because he's talking to his disciples and he's saying the greatest love of all time is when you give your life. What he's saying is I'm about to do this. I'm about to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, Peter's another one of Jesus' followers. And he's writing this letter Jesus has already been crucified, already rose again, the church has started. And now Peter's writing this letter and he says this, For you were called to this, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. Now here's the deal. It's almost like he's quoting what Jesus was saying in the Last Supper, right? Jesus left an example for you to follow and you're called to this so you can follow in those footsteps. Look at verse 22. He says, he, Jesus, did not commit sin, and no deceit was even found in his mouth. When reviled, he did not revile in return. When suffering, and listen, he suffered. Maybe you haven't heard the story. Maybe you haven't heard it in a long time. They arrested him that night. They brought him before trial after trial after trial. The last one, Pilate finally said, fine, crucify him. They took him out. They stripped him naked. They beat him with their fist. They plucked his beard out. They shoved a crown of thorns on his head. They took a whip that had pieces of metal tied to the end of it, the pieces of leather, and they would strike him with it. And the leather would wrap around his body. And when they pulled the leather strap back, all those bits of metal would just rip flesh open, exposing bone and muscle. And then they gave him a wooden cross and told him to carry it outside the gates of the city. And he was so broken at that time, he couldn't even finish carrying it. They had to get somebody from the crowd to help him carry it. And they marched him up Golgotha or Calvary's Hill and they laid him down on this cross and they drove nails through his hands and through his feet and they put him up and they dropped him in the hole. Making fun of him, reviling him, mocking him the whole time. You're talking about suffering, he suffered, but get what it, look what it says. But when suffering, he did not threaten. <laughs> this is God himself. This is the son of God. And at any time he could have called angels to come and set him free. He could have called and said, okay, that's enough. I'm done. I can't do this. But it says he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounding, you have been healed. That idea of so that having died to sins, here's the deal. That's what it means to give your life. He died for our sins so that you and I can die to our sins. 
He took the weight and the burden and the wrath of God upon his own body so that you and I can die to that and we don't have to live that way anymore. We can live in freedom. He gave his life. And what Jesus was saying, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to lay it down so that you can go from being called servants and slaves to your sin to being a part of the family of God. So we can go from being lost to being found. So we can go from being broken to being healed. So we can go from carrying the weight of our mistakes and our choices and our sin and our regret and shame to being able to lay that down and walk in freedom. So we can go from being caged up to set free. So that we can go from being dead to being made alive. And some of you this morning, maybe you've never experienced real life. It's all about giving your life to the one who gave it for you. Because a lot of you are living your life with no clue of where you're going or what your destination in life is even going to be. And the only way you can know that is by giving your life. And I only have two things this morning. Some of you make, make you pretty happy. But I got two things this morning, right? Here's the deal. Number one. Everyone gives their life to something. Everyone gives their life to something. When I was a police officer, I, I, I dealt with the gangbangers, I dealt with the drug users, I dealt with the drug dealers, I dealt with the rapists, I dealt with the abusers. And sometimes when people look at those people like, oh, their lives are worthless. They don't give their life to anything. It's not true. The drug user gives their life for that next high, that next feeling. The drug dealer gives their life for that next sale. That next dollar they can make. The rapist gives their life for that next opportunity they can show control and power. The abuser gives their life to that next sense of, hey, I'm in charge. The, the gangbanger gives their life to the gang, that, that, that uh, false idea of family and friendship. They do give their life to something. You know why? Because you can't not give your life to something. You can't not give your life to something. Everybody in here this morning, you and I are all going to give our life to something. We look at some of the best athletes in the world today, and, and we, if we had everybody shout out, everybody have a different idea, right? LeBron James, Michael Jordan, right, and different things. Steph Curry, but you go to football, and you look at football players, amazing baseball players. You're like, man, these guys are all-stars. They're amazing. Well, why is that? Because they gave their life to that. They gave their life to the pursuit of excellence in that field because we all give our life to something. I've got an iPhone. Don't judge me, those of you who are not iPhone people. But um, in fact, I, get a, I need to get another one because mine is horrible, but I'm so stubborn because I hate, like, the idea of Apple owning me, right? So I'm like, I don't want to get another, but I need to because it's, it's junk, right? Um, and, I, and I use a MacBook um, to do all my, my studying and all that kind of stuff. And here's the, where, where you land on Mac or Windows, it doesn't really matter because when it comes to, the Apple products, they all came from the genius of one man, Steve Jobs. Like you could hate Apple products, but you can't deny the fact that the guy was just brilliant, right? And so you might use iTunes, you might use a MacBook, you might use an iPhone, whatever, but it's all from him. Now, he died a few years ago. He got cancer and, and he passed away. But before he died, a reporter went and interviewed him. And I love this interview, this, this back and forth, because at some point in this interview, the reporter asked Steve, hey, listen, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in God? That's a very profound question to ask somebody who's dying. And I thought it was really telling because it's amazing what, at that time, the most powerful, the most influential man in the world said. He answered and said this. He said, I don't know if there's a God, but I hope there is. He says, in fact, I really need for there to be a God because if there is no God, then everything is for nothing and none of what I have done really matters. Did you get that? He says, I don't know if there is a God, but I hope there is. Because if there's not a God, then everything is for nothing, and everything I've done in my life doesn't even matter. Now, as far as we know, I, I don't know, I, I don't believe that Steve Jobs was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he got, but he got this part. He's like, well, if there's not a God, then really not, everything's really for nothing. And he got part of it right. Because here's the deal, yeah, it's, if, if there's not a God, there is a God, there's a big debate, okay, we can answer that question, but here's the deal. What he got wrong was this. It doesn't matter whether God exists or not in that moment. What matters in that moment is who you give your life to. See, what makes your work matter, what makes your life matter, doesn't, it, like, God does exist, okay? But just because God exists or not doesn't make what you do in life matter or not. What matters is who you choose to give your life to, what you choose to give your life to. Because imagine this. Imagine being the most powerful man in the world. 
or woman in the world. And you create something so profound that it literally changes the way people use technology around the globe. That you have more money than you could ever even know what to do with. You can't go anywhere where people don't know your name or who you are. You're on the cover of every magazine. Every reporter wants to get an interview with you. In fact, there's very few countries in the world that are not impacted by what you're able to do. Imagine you're that person. The world is at your fingertips. But then you die. And you stand before God. And at that very moment, you realize that everything you gave your life for was the wrong thing. Put yourself in the place of Steve Jobs. Wherever you're at, whatever you do, imagine standing before God and realizing at that very moment that everything you gave your life to, everything I gave my life to was the wrong thing. See, a lot of us, man, we... We give, we give our life chasing fame or we give our life chasing money or security. Some of us give our life chasing sports or success. And we give our lives to all kinds of things because we can't not give our life to something. And so Jesus, in the book of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And many people are on it. Jesus, some people have never really heard that Jesus actually talked this way, but he did. He said the gate is wide, means it's easy to get through, and the road is easy, which means it's wide, it's flat, there's a lot of people on it that leads to destruction. Why? Because it's very easy for us all to get wrapped up into giving our life for the wrong thing. But then Jesus says this. He says, narrow is the way and hard is the road that leads to life, and few people find it. You say, well, why is that? It's not fair. Here's what happens. The world is constantly screaming at us and constantly laying things in front of us for us to give our life to. Hey, give your life to sex. Hey, give your life to power. Hey, give your life to money. Hey, give your life to your job. Hey, give your life to your house. Give your life to things. Give your life to stuff. Give your life to, to popularity. Whatever it is. We, the world is constantly screaming at us and bombarding us with all kinds of things that we can give our life to. But in the middle of that, I want you to get this. Look at me. Here's the deal. While the world is screaming at us and laying things in front of us, hey, give your life to this or give your life to that. Here's the deal. Right now, some of you might be experiencing this, though. While all of that's going on, even this morning, some of you are having a different voice. There's a tug in your heart. There's a movement in your heart saying, you tried everything else. Give your life to me. There's this still small voice that he's like, okay, man, I just, I've tried giving my life to everything. I'm caught in this cycle where nothing works. I just, I end up broken. I end up just as lonely. I end up just as confused. And while the world just said, well, then try this or try this or try this. And so we pick something else up. We go on the crazy cycle with it. It doesn't work. We put that down. We pick something else up. But what if this morning some of you in your heart right now, Jesus is saying, hey, wait a minute. This changes everything because I died for you and I rose again for you. Give your life to me. And the great thing about our Savior is he doesn't scream it at you. He just works in your heart where you just realize, hey, something's not right. He says, you tried everything else. Give your life to me. So everybody gives their life to something. Second thing, everyone gives their life to someone. Everyone gives their life to someone. And here's the good news about this. There's only two choices. So it's like 50-50 shot, okay. We either give our life to God or we give our life to ourselves. That's it. There's really no third option. We give our life to God or we give our life to ourselves. Manny and I, um, here in July, will be our 19th anniversary, all right. We've been married for almost 19 years. And, and I remember that wedding day like it was yesterday. We got married in Fairfield, Ohio, in the church that she grew up in. And I was already nervous anyway because we're one of those couples that when you look at us, you go, why is she with him? Okay, so I, I get that my wife is way out of my league and, and she's amazing in so many different ways. And so I'm like, okay, it's our wedding day. And I was wearing my white tuxedo jacket, right, and my black pants because that's what was in style then. And I was like, okay, I can't wait for this, all right. And I'm behind the stage with, with my pastor, with Dr. Steve Hayes. And he's back there with, with the rest of my, um, I don't want to say entourage. That's the wrong word. What am I looking for? Uh, wedding party groomsmen. There we go. Okay. Entourage. Anyway, so we're waiting back there, and the music's playing, and they're seating everybody, right? And so you hear this music playing, and, and all of a sudden the music stops. But we're not walking out. And I'm like, well, this is it. 
she totally got smart finally. Like she realized like, okay, she could do way better than me. Or like, I, I, in my, now this was never in her, but this is just mind brain, how it works, okay? And I'm back there, I'm like, okay, I just imagine she's back there, they're doing her hair, she's getting all fixed up, ready to walk down the aisle. Somebody comes to her and says, hey, like you could do better, you still have time, you haven't said I do yet, you need to go now. And she opens the window, crawls out, and she's gone. And now I'm gonna have to go before the whole church and explain to everybody why we're not getting married, and thank you for coming. And I'm like, this is not good, I'm hyperventilating like I am now, right? Like, and my, my, my heart is just up here in my stomach, and I'm sweating, I'm pale white, and then all of a sudden the music starts again. And I'm like, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> like, it was crazy. And so we, we finally, we file out there, and, and, and we walk out, and, and I'm watching the wedding, wedding party come down the aisle. And I'm like, oh, man, when's she going to come? When's she going to come? And finally they all get set, and then it happens. Her dad and her step in the view of the doors. This is awesome. Please walk this way, right? <laughs> like, I'm thinking, if she's going to see me, maybe I'm not as pretty. Oh, I'm not supposed to be pretty, but you know what I'm talking about, right? So, so she starts walking, and I'm just praying the whole time, please, Lord, let her take another step. Please, Lord, let her take another step. And she gets down here to the front, and her dad takes her hand, and he puts her hand in mine. Best day of my life, right? And then we turned around, and before our family and our friends and God, we gave our life to each other. And when I said yes to Mandy, I said no to all the other 150 million women in the United States of America. Not that any of them want anything to do with me, but it makes me feel really good to say I turned down half the population of America, okay? So don't judge me, all right? But I said yes to her. I gave my life to her, right, physically. Like as, as a husband and wife, we gave our life to each other. And because I did that, I'm hers and she's mine. And there's a change. There's certain things I don't do because I gave my life to her. There's certain things she doesn't do because she gave her life to me. There's certain things I do because I gave my life to her. There's certain things she does because she gave her life to me. And if anyone ever tries to hurt her, they're not going to find their body because my boys are going to take care of that, right? With some fish kisses and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's going to be it's crazy, but we gave our life to each other. And then when my boys were born, I remember when Jonathan was born, I, I gave my life to him. And, and that kid eats all my food. And it's really expensive to raise a 16-year-old who eats a lot. But I don't care, you know, because I gave my life to him. And Daniel, I gave my life to him when he was born, and I loved it. Daniel, he loves Legos. And I don't know if you know how expensive Legos are. you got to take out a second mortgage to buy a box of them. And then if you've ever walked barefoot through the house at night in the dark and stepped right on the heel of your foot on the smallest Lego in the world, it feels like somebody drove a spike up the back of your leg, and it makes you want to say words at that time, even as a pastor, that you shouldn't say. But you know what, here's the deal. At that moment, I mind a little bit, but at the most part, I don't mind because I gave my life to him. And for Mason, when he was born, I love him, and I, and I gave my life to him. And for Mason, we're saving up all of our money for bail money one day. And I don't care because I love him, and I gave my life to him. He's amazing. You just got to meet him. So anyway, he's great. But here's it. We gave our life to each other. And you're going to give your life to somebody. And here's the deal. It's either God or you. There's only two choices. And the only person that's worthy for you to give your life to, it's not you. And the only person worthy for me to give my life to, it's not me. Do you know why? Because you're too small and I'm too small. I've never made a blind person see again. I've never made someone who was deaf hear again. I've never walked on water. I've never looked at somebody who couldn't walk and say, hey, get up and walk. And they got up and walked. Never happened. I've never raised the dead before. So when it comes to who am I going to give my life to, here's the deal. And by the way, you haven't done any of those things either, okay. So, so when it comes to who we give our life to, we can give our life to God, we can give our life to ourselves. But the problem is we're too small. And if we realize that about, let's be honest, if we realize that about ourselves, that you and I are too small, then why is it that we always give our life to the smaller of the two options? Maybe you don't struggle like that, like I do, but I do. Like, why do I always find myself giving myself to the option of that smallest of the two? Why do I find myself giving my life to me when I can't do anything? And we're like, okay, I can give it to God or I can give it to me. And you can give your life to God or you can give it to you. You give your life to something and that becomes your mission. And you give your life to someone and that becomes your master. And the question becomes, what are you going to give your life to and who are you going to give your life to? 
when I give my life to someone, that becomes my master. And so what that means is when I give my life to myself, that, becomes, I bec- I be- that means I become my own master, which sounds really good on paper, by the way. Yeah, I'm the boss. That's awesome. I've given my life to myself. That means I serve me. But here's the problem. Some of you this morning, you're figuring this out because you've been around the block a few times. You've been in that crazy cycle one too many times. And what you realize and what I realize is when we give our life to ourselves and we become our own master, here's what we, become, what we start serving. We start serving a master that we can never satisfy. We start serving a master that there's never enough whatever. There's never enough money. There's never enough power. There's never enough peace. There's never enough sex. There's never enough importance. There's never enough. There's never enough. And it feels like we're always just right there. And right when our hand gets about the grasp, that completeness, the thing that's going to complete our life, right before we get there, it moves just a little further, doesn't it? Because when we serve ourselves as our own master, we, be, we start serving a master that we will never, ever satisfy. But the great thing is when we give our life to Jesus, here's what he said. You remember what he told his disciples in that room that night? I don't call you a servant. I call you a friend. And what I love most about this resurrection Sunday is this. We serve a God who doesn't consider us a slave but considers us part of the family and a friend. But we also serve a God who's on the cross that day, on that Friday, right before he died. He says three words. It is finished. It's done. It's satisfied. You don't have to work. You don't have to do it. You don't have to fix it. It's all me. So what Jesus says, when we give our life to him, he says, hey, the junk you're carrying right now, lay it down. The regret you've got, the shame you have, put it down. The fact that you don't know what to do, I have the answers. The hopelessness, lay it down. The loneliness, lay it down. Why? He says, it is finished. I've completed it. You don't have to worry about it. And that's an amazing master to serve. And some of you, you need to get off the you train and get back to giving your life to Christ and serve a master who doesn't call you a slave but calls you a friend. And says, you know what, it's not about satisfying because I took care of all that one day. It's done. <laughs> like there's real freedom and there's real life right here. Jesus said the greatest gift known to the human race is when someone gives their life. And he died the death that we deserve so that we could have the relationship that we don't deserve. You must have a mission and you must have a master, but you will never know your mission. You will never know your purpose in life until you've given your life to the right master. Some of you this morning are like, I just don't know what my life's about. I don't know the purpose of my life. You'll never know that until you give your life to the right master. And some of us, our master is entertainment. Some of it's our phone. It's social media. It's whatever. You, you fill in the blank and it's time to give our life to the right master. And the only way that you can find the right master is this. It's a church word. You ready for it? Everybody, everybody looking? It's repent. It's a churchy word, and I'll explain what it means. But here's the deal. Repent of giving your life to the wrong master and give your life to Jesus. And here's all repent says. Here it is. It's, it means this. I'm going this way in my life, and I'm giving my life to myself. And what it means is to know the right master, to have real life, to have hope, and to have forgiveness. And restoration means, you know what, I've tried this road a long time, and nothing's changed. And so to repent means, you know what, I admit that I'm broken and I'm here because I'm broken. I'm here because I'm a sinner. I'm here because I'm messed up. And so I'm tired of going this way. So repent means I'm going to turn away from this way and I'm going to go this way towards Jesus. I'm going to go this way towards the one who died for me. I'm going to go this way to the one who has the answers. I'm going to go that way to the one who really, truly loves me. What it means is I'm going to turn my back on the person I used to be and I'm going to turn my face towards the one who loves me. That's what repentance means. I'm going to turn my back on the person I used to be, and I'm going to turn my face towards the one who loves me, the one who gave his life for me. And some of you this morning, you're on the road to destruction because you're on the wrong mission with the wrong master. Who have you given your life to? And this morning, we all have an opportunity to decide who we give our life to. Because you're going to give your life to something and you're going to give your life to someone. Why not give it to Jesus? Some of you came in here, like I said earlier, and you're carrying some heavy stuff. Some of you are like, I've never given my life to Jesus. I don't even know what that even means. Like, are you saying I can have a new life? Absolutely. 
Are you saying I could have a new start? Absolutely. Are you saying that Jesus really loved me enough that he was thinking of me when he died on the cross? Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.